This is Mental Health and You with WCPA. We're your hosts, Taylor Kennedy, Caitlin Schaefer, and Jacqueline Simplecamp. Our podcast covers mental health topics for you. From us, licensed mental health professionals. Let's get to this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Mental Health and You. On our podcast, we have had quite a few discussions surrounding anxiety, but not so much depression. So today we really wanted to shed some light on this topic. Yeah, we really wanted to talk about this topic because I think anxiety and depression can go hand in hand, and we just want to get into this topic more. So today we're going to specifically discuss why depression is different from just feeling sad, and I think that this is something that can be misunderstood a lot of the time since the word depression is thrown around so much now. You're definitely right with that, and I also think it's important to note that with a lot of other mental health struggles, anxiety and depression um, are often symptoms or, you know, right along with the other diagnosis. And I agree. I think that there are many people that don't understand depression. And primarily the main thing is they don't know that there are so many different kinds. So often people think of depression as just like this blanket term. But in reality, there are various types of depression. I mean, just to name a few, we have bipolar depression, persistent depressive disorder, major depressive disorder, I don't know, situational or even seasonal depression, right? And all of these look very different, right? And as professionals, we know that. But the general public, I feel like, really doesn't understand that. What other misconceptions do you guys notice? Yeah, I think those are all really great examples, Taylor. You know, the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that therapists use in diagnosing mental health disorders, has very specific guidelines of how to clinically diagnose someone with depression. So in this episode, you know, we'll talk about these differences of sadness versus depression. So if you feel like you've maybe had long-term bouts of sadness or that, you know, things aren't going away. We just want to set the tone and definitely recommend that you do talk to your doctor about that because they will have the specific guidelines on that and be able to kind of guide you. So one common misconception that I often hear about depression is usually from like a parent or a relative. And they'll say, I just don't understand why they're sad. They have so many good things in their life. What could possibly be wrong? And so this idea that something very specific or bad has to be happening for someone to be struggling with depression just isn't true. Depression can be caused by, you know, a traumatic event or just a really difficult situation that we have trouble handling, but it can also just simply be a chemical imbalance in the brain that we're born with. So just like someone might be told that they are anemic because they lack the healthy amount of iron in their system, someone can be lacking the chemicals that are, you know, the happy and the happy chemicals. So if someone says that they don't know why they're feeling down, it could very much be true. And I think that's something that I really want our listeners to take away from this is if, you know, someone in their life is saying that they're sad and they just don't know why, and it's for an extended period of time believe them because that could just be that chemical imbalance that we've touched on. Yeah. They're, they're lacking serotonin. They need yes. serotonin in their lives. Exactly. I like how you make that distinction. Again, sadness is normal. And I would almost be concerned if someone didn't experience sadness ever, because again, it's just an emotion that's part of life. And yeah. I think it's okay for us to feel that, you know, everyone has bad days sometimes, or they're going through a difficult time. 
or someone hurt their feelings. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons to be sad. Talking about those periods of sadness, that is normal. But when it's extended or when it's more intense or people can't get out of it, like that could be a sign of depression. I mean, depression can look so many ways. And I think those things you just mentioned, Jacqueline, are important to note. To have that clinical diagnosis of depression, it does have to be those more long-term bouts of sadness. However, I think it's really important for me to point out here that people with depression aren't always going to look depressed on the outside, right? Like they can be happy. They can seem like everything's fine. And there are times that they truly are. I know that I have several clients as well as friends and family members who've been diagnosed with depression um, and on more days than not to the outside world, nobody would even know. And I say that because depression isn't always just sadness or tears like Jacqueline said. So depression can also look like avoidance or procrastination. It can look like being overly quiet or withdrawn, um, having moments of being really on edge or getting really quick to be upset, avoiding social interactions sleeping more often, having a lack of appetite, maybe increased substance use, increased negative thinking, and increased sense of hopelessness. And we do want to mention that intense depression can even look like self-harm or having suicidal thoughts. I think in general, depression in, different, in its different forms is really different from sadness in that when, if you are suffering from a form of depression, you're not getting joy from things that you normally would. Does that make sense? So it's like, it's not a choice. So if I love playing a sport or my child loves playing this sport and they're coming home or I'm coming home upset every time and I hate this now and it's negative, that's kind of like an indicator too. Like this isn't just sadness or a hard practice. Something that used to bring me so much joy is now no longer doing so. And in a lot of my clients, especially my adolescents and young adults, I notice they struggle in social situations and it's clinically different, obviously, than sadness, but also sadness normally isn't something that impacts your social interactions and your ability to feel, I don't know, worthy or capable of taking things on. And many of my clients, I notice those extremes in I also noticed that a lot of my clients struggle in general with just feeling like they have like a gray cloud and it's just like this blanket of sadness that they can't shake. Often they really don't know what to do about it or how to help others identify what's going on. Because when you're young, you aren't always able to recognize what's going on with you. And so it can be important to kind of try your best, even though it's hard to communicate that to a trusted adult or a doctor, especially if we're having thoughts of self-harm or suicide, like you mentioned, Caitlin. Yeah. And I think those are all great examples, Taylor. And just to clarify, like these are things that do, you know, are for extended amounts of time. So if, you know, your child only is coming home two or three times, not being happy with a practice, or, you know, it's something that just is occasional, that probably is not going to be the sign of depression, right? But like you right. said, Taylor, it's these ongoing, long-term, for several months things that we would be concerned about. And I think really these things we are mentioning can relate to all age groups. We're yeah. maybe giving some examples with children, but they really can and do relate to all age groups. Any major changes in behavior that include excessive sleep, you know, withdrawing from these social interactions and that lack of motivation at any age could be signs of concern. And I'm really glad that you guys mentioned kids because I've heard parents say things like, oh, they're seven. How could they be depressed? How can they have depression? And depression can start really young. And I know it might be kind of strange to think about, but it's a real thing. And I think we need to look out for those signs. 
And I've noticed that in my clients, like you guys have said about motivation, severe lack of motivation tends to be a sign of depression. Parents might say, wow, she can never get out of bed or she doesn't have energy to do anything. And I think to the client that can come off as kind of blaming them for experiencing that or not being able to do something about it. And the clients themselves say they just can't get their stuff done or they don't want to hang out with friends. I know my clients, again, want to be doing these things, but they just can't get themselves to actually start. And that's a tough place to be. And it's really hard to get yourself out of that. It's hard to know where to even begin to kind of tackle that issue. Yeah. And Jacqueline, I think for my clients who are in similar situations, I find that sometimes that can almost cause them to spiral a little bit more, right? Like they get frustrated with themselves or feel guilty if they're impacting others. And because you're right, they do want to be doing this, but there's just, it, they have something that isn't allowing them to, and it can be so hard. This is definitely a major symptom I see in my clients too. So it can be really hard uh, being the person dealing with these feelings, but it can also be hard as someone who supports or engages with that person. It can be hard to know how to help here. And one of the reasons for this is because since it's so often misunderstood, it's not always taken seriously when it needs to be. That's a very good point. And I just want to like jump out and say this. One thing I've learned from my clients recently is that the word depression, like specifically the word, is thrown around a lot in their social groups at school. Like, I don't know. I I didn't ever think about that. But I have so many clients that tell me like, oh my gosh, my friends make light of depression or just casually say like, oh, today sucks. I'm so depressed. But I don't know. They do that as well with like, I think ADHD when they can't focus. But I just find that so interesting that like a mental health illness or this severe for some people debilitating, you know, struggle is thrown around as if it's just like an out or an excuse for you not doing your work or focusing to the best of your ability. I don't know. Had to say that. Taylor, I think you're totally right. And it's hard because for the people that do actually have the diagnosis, it's so hard to hear other people say that who don't, because I've heard them say like, they don't even know. They They have no idea what they're going through is not this. Yeah. My clients, what we then go into often is like why this makes them mad or makes light of or takes away from how real and prevalent and like overwhelming they're feeling when it's like, no, like what you're feeling is sadness Mm -hmm. or you're being lazy or you're having a hard day. This is a serious struggle for me. And you just tossing the word around as if it's like a choice or casual thing is kind of insulting, but yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Taylor. Yeah, had had to say it because I <laughs> have been hearing that recently and it's just like makes me so sad for my clients and just like, yeah. ugh, it's kids these thing. days. But anyways, I truly believe that this is rooted in them just not knowing what depression is, right? Like they don't mean to be hurtful. People don't mean to be hurtful. I think that parents say this, spouses sometimes don't always fully understand and might unintentionally make light of depression, but it is mainly rooted in them just not knowing. And we can't assume negative intent when ignorance is normally the reason. I think that mainly as extreme sadness or bad days, rough phases of life happen, it's important to know that those are temporary. And I think like Caitlin said, that's the biggest difference between depression and sadness is how temporary or permanent those waves of emotion are. What would you say is the biggest difference you notice or you think, Jacqueline? 
Yeah, well, I was going to say something similar, like how sadness is a temporary period of time. It does tend to go away on its own or we can do a few things and then we feel better. But depression is just not like that. It's not something that we can just shake off or brush off. It doesn't go away on its own. It's something that you intentionally need to spend time taking care of to improve it. Something else I've heard is that people think depression is a sign of weakness and that someone who's depressed just isn't trying hard enough. And again, we cannot say enough. That is not the case. That person is doing the best that they can. And it might look like they're not doing a lot, but that is just where they're at at that time. And we need to respect and understand that. Uh, Jacqueline, I love that you just said that. I don't know. I get so frustrated sometimes with people when... I don't know, they aren't treating others with that sensitivity and understanding and compassion because, again, it might present as laziness or whatever, but that person's already thinking less of themselves and as if you're viewing them as weak. So if you treat them like crap, it just isn't going to help anyone. And, you know, that kind of leads into another misconception that I notice um, and we kind of hit on is that depression's a choice. Well, Maybe not like a choice, but it's something that the person may be doing or making worse for themselves. People truly minimize the clinical illness side of depression and of this mental health struggle when it presents in its extreme forms, right? So if a child's having crying spells, a spouse can't get out of bed, we think, you know, they're they're just making it worse for themselves because they're not getting out of that dark room. Well, if they had the social motivation to interact with their friends or the motivation person to get out of that dark room, they definitely would be. And I notice we don't see people doing this to someone who's physically ill, right? So someone who's suffering from a physical illness, we don't think that they're bringing it on themselves or they're making it worse for themselves. So I don't know. I see many people with depression who just don't feel understood because of this. Yeah, that's such a great point. I'm sitting here thinking about, okay, if someone breaks their leg, I'm not going to go and ask them to get up without a crutch, right? Or without getting some support and, you know, working their leg back to healthiness. Right. But I'm going to expect someone with a chemical imbalance to just snap out of it or make it happen for themselves. And it's like, there's something chemically unbalanced. They're struggling. Be compassionate. I know. Exactly. And I think that's the big point of this episode, like we've said, right, is that helping people to just be informed and understand of what, you know, clinical depression really is. So there's quite a few different risk factors that can actually contribute to depression. So let's talk through a few real quick. So um, the first one is kind of like we've been mentioning this genetic piece, and it doesn't always have to be genetic, but many times it is. And that's that chemical imbalance in the brain that we've referred to before. Some other things are loss or death of a loved one or someone that we are really connected to that can turn into some long-term sadness that would be diagnosed as depression. And also, I just want to note, like when things get really overwhelming, right? People who already maybe have um, that genetic risk factor, becoming very overwhelming and having a lot of stress build up in their life, that can be a trigger for depression as well. That's a good point because they have that underlying risk factor, right, of the genetic right. makeup. So then like a triggering event like loss, death, mm-hmm. that's a good point. That's obviously going to make that depressive factor rear its ugly head. And yeah. other risk, risk factors, you know, is rooted in conflict, right? So conflict with a family member or between a friend and you that you might have an emotional attachment to can produce um, long lasting struggles for you. 
Additionally, like abuse and trauma, right? So whether that abuse was to you, that, you know, firsthand abuse or it was secondary versus like where you're seeing it or you're witnessing mom and dad or something happened. And these events can be extremely triggering for long lasting periods of depression because they have such a so much emotion provoked by them. And we think about them often and it can create that long lasting piece that we're talking about. Yeah. I think for each person, it can be so different. I'm glad you guys mentioned so many different risk factors because they can all contribute to someone developing depression. And we might think about different members of a family. Like if a traumatic event happens in the family, each person in that unit is going to be affected differently. Like some may develop depression, Mm -hmm. others may not. And it just depends how that person is made up biologically and also just how they experience events as well. Yeah. And the impact that event happened or has on them. Excuse me. That's a good point. And something else I think that can contribute to depression are just life changes or life events in general. So maybe you lose your job or you're going through a divorce. These are things that are hard to experience and deal with. And those things can definitely lead to someone experiencing depression later on. Not only like typical stressful events can contribute to depression, but also even happier events. So getting married or having a baby can also contribute to depression because those life events are changing and they shift our lives and like it's an adjustment to deal with those things. And something else I'm thinking of too is going to college. That is a huge life change for people Mm -hmm. and it's a lot to cope with. And I think that can cause depression too for people that age. Even just switching schools, like switching schools, being the new kid or switching jobs and being the new person, all of these big life changes, like you're mentioning, Jacqueline, those transitions in life definitely can provoke some stuff. I think that's a good point to make that they don't, it doesn't always have to be some big significant event like we had mentioned earlier of you know divorce abuse trauma that kind of stuff even what we think of as like normal parts of life they are still big changes and it's what people go through and these life changes are stressful too even if we're planning on them to happen yeah even when you have like the plan in place and you feel like you've safeguarded and you know prepared it can still be a lot of stress to overcome so you're right it, it's definitely something you have to be mindful of so that you know, okay, when has this lasted for a long enough period of time or when do I need to go and explore, okay, is this rooted in something larger and maybe it's going to start impacting my ability to, you know, live the quality of life I want or be successful in various environments. Yeah. And I, I love Jacqueline, how you mentioned like having a baby. I think postpartum depression is something that is not talked about enough or people aren't women, you know, aren't given the space to really acknowledge that. And so I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something that, you know, as we're kind of destigmatizing, I want to open the door to that conversation too. It's a big one. I'm so happy you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, having a baby is supposed to be happy, right? But the things our body goes through in that time, it, it can change hormones and, you know, the chemicals in our brain. And so it, it, that's a real, very real thing too. Exactly. I'm really glad you said that too. It's a really good point to make the postpartum piece. Yeah. I think yeah. the postpartum piece, even like the physical aspects of our body, right? Mm-hmm. Self-esteem or long lasting periods of low self-esteem, self-doubt, yeah. self-depreciation. I think it's very important to note the long lasting impact that can have on an individual, whether it's postpartum or just in general, having low self-esteem really, and for a long period of time, especially and beating, you know, verbally or in your own head, that inner script challenging those, I don't know, it got me thinking. 
No, exactly. And that kind of reminds me of a few more potential risk factors too. Like if you're taking a medication that could also impact potentially developing depression because of side effects and that sort of thing. And then also substance abuse. And that's an interesting one because sometimes people self-medicate with drugs or alcohol to treat their own depression, which is not healthy, but people do it. Mm -hmm. And then also if you are using substances that can also cause depression. So that one's kind of complicated, but it does contribute to depression in general for sure. Yes, I agree, Jacqueline. The substance abuse one is very tricky, but I think it's important, like you said, to note that sometimes people who have a substance use disorder, they might be trying to self-medicate. They might be trying to get those depressed thoughts and feelings, you know, out of the way, or it could be the other way around. So I would just say as a therapist, you know, if you are coming into therapy, sometimes I find that it's hard to admit if you do struggle with substance abuse, but it really can help us know how to treat you when we're talking about working with depression as well. So, okay. We've talked a lot about depression thus far. So I think it's important we kind of transition into what people can do to treat depression. So as humans, we like options. And luckily, there are many options for managing your depressive symptoms and staying on top of depression. So of course, I'm biased, but... My favorite treatment is therapy. I think that's probably an amazing option. And like I said, I'm biased, but I love that option. But in addition to therapy, I really think gaining information and knowledge does wonders when it comes to not only managing, but understanding what depression truly is. So gaining knowledge really just allows you to not only have insight and feel more in control as to what's going on with you or someone around you. Um, and like within your body, but it also allows you to start learning strategies for symptom management. And not only that, but not allowing your depression to really take over your life. Okay. So therapy really works. Like let it be your tool. Let it be your foundation. Let it be the foreground for the work that you're wanting to do on yourself. Therapy can be the extra support along with life changes you're trying to make. And Again, we've talked about this before, but in relation to depression, therapy can help help you get at those root contributors of the depression. If you gain more self-awareness through therapy, I think you're better equipped to make those helpful changes for yourself outside of session. Therapy is obviously one of the major you know, ways to treat depression, but there's a few others as well that we want to note. So some other ways outside of therapy are you know, holistic healing. Uh, wellness, some retreats, um, medication management, mindfulness, yoga, tapping into any spirituality, a lot of these other ways that, you know, depending on who you are and your belief systems and what you feel comfortable with, that you could utilize to manage those symptoms of depression day to day. Yeah. And really just like pull on for strength. Yeah. I agree with everything you're saying, Caitlin. Like I've heard people make statements like, the outdoors is my therapy or yoga Mm -hmm. is my therapy, or I wouldn't be where I'm at today without my religious beliefs or something like that. And while technically, no, these things are not therapy, they are still so impactful for people. And we want you guys to be engaging in activities and practices like that too, if that's what helps you. And so you might be wondering, how can you support a friend or family member who is coping with depression? Because again, support systems are everything. Just being there with them and listening to that person without judgment is huge. I think starting with feeling heard can be a really powerful thing. We actually kind of talk about this more in depth a few episodes back. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. 
Support is huge when it comes to depression, and it doesn't really matter if you're the one being supported or showing support. Regardless, support and depression go hand in hand. As humans and just in general in life, I feel like everyone deserves support in navigating depression or negative situations, challenging situations in life, but it can be hard to know how to best support someone, right? So I think there's a ton of different ways based on what the individual is needing that you can show support. But I agree, just being there, providing them the space does wonders because then they're not suffering in silence and not suffering alone. Caitlin, what are some final suggestions you would say are important to consider when supporting someone who's suffering from any form of depression? I think what you said is perfect. And also just going back to that being understanding and empathetic and being informed, right? Like we talked a little bit earlier about sometimes if someone's not doing something and they're in that depressed state, we might get frustrated or we might just question, why can't they just do this? You know, why are they avoiding or procrastinating or, you know, all these things? Why can't they just get up and do it? So by not forcing that or being accusatory or questioning constantly, just sitting there with them in their moment of struggle um, and not pushing further, because like we said before, right, they already are probably feeling you know, bad about it themselves. So just sitting there with them in that moment and being understanding is super, super helpful, not demanding anything more from them. Um, And then like you guys have said, being informed, learning about how this affects people and your loved ones specifically can be really important. Also, last episode, we mentioned boundaries. And I think what you're getting at here, Caitlin, is respecting their boundaries. So not prying, not trying to get information, just sitting with them in it, Respecting their boundaries is very important. Good (laughs) tie-in. I know. I think all of our stuff is really starting to connect here. Mm -hmm. And I think this conversation itself has been really great. And honestly, it reminds me too that we all need to be taking care of ourselves. Yeah, this is a perfect topic to lead into next week's episode too. So next week, we will be talking about self-care. Of course, we're all super excited about this episode because we love self-care. And as we've said in previous episodes, we think we could talk about self-care for like weeks on end, nonstop. But yes, next week, we'll be answering all of your questions and giving our thoughts on what self-care actually is. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We truly appreciate your support in promoting our mission of making mental health less taboo to talk about. Please continue to join us next week and continue to spread the word about mental health. We'll see you next Monday, guys. Have a great week.